0: Well, hello again. Welcome to the IC Company and Markets show. I'm uh, Mark Robinson. Unfortunately, uh, our editor, John Human can't be with us this afternoon. He's off on business somewhere. But I am joined by Bradley Gerard, our news editor, and three of our specialist writers, James Norrington, Emma Powell, and Harriet Russell. And ever reliable in the studio as ever is Dominic Toms. Well, it's been a a traumatic week in markets, and that's probably an understatement as well. We've seen the FTSE, uh, well, we've seen about 51 billion wiped off UK equity markets at one point. We've seen a range of commodity falls going on from uh, those that have occurred over the last 18 months, oils down to about $28 a barrel, key industrial inputs such as... uh, Copper, iron ore and coal have, uh, again, trading at or near multi-year lows. And it's fed through into a a wider sell-off in markets as well. Looking at the news for this week as well, interestingly, the UK and Japan seem to have entered into a technical bear market. Rather unusual, Algernon Hall mentioned to me on the way down that this is the fourth one in his lifetime. And uh, it probably didn't uh, take markets completely by surprise, but uh, the severity was... uh, was unprecedented really over the last couple of years
1: yeah I mean I think it's been um, it's obviously sort of made the start of 2016 even worse than it was prior to this happening so both as you say the uk and japan stock markets have fallen 20 percent since their cycle peaks the uk i guess the big pressure on the uk is um you know oil stocks and commodity stocks like you mentioned um, well that's
0: right it's heavily weighted within the the benchmark and exactly uh, the and 350 as well
1: sentiment towards them is not very good and as you say oils um, reach 28 dollars a barrel and in japan i suppose japan's got the problem of the fact that it's um, very much an export um, economy but the safe haven asset when people are scared of equity markets is the yen so you kind of have this effect It's almost double whammy in Japan, whereby if people are scared of equities, not only are they selling them, but they're actually probably going into the yen, which makes um, Japanese exporters not as attractive.
0: Conversely, we've seen a little bit of uh, weakness in sterling of late as well.
1: Yeah, we have. I guess, well, it's a bit weaker against the dollar has that cute strengthening, but it's also um, a bit weaker, I suppose, because there's not much movement in well, monetary but, policy as there, well.
0: There's been plenty of uh, analyst comment as well, as saying that sterling was actually one of the most uh, overvalued currencies during the rounds for quite considerable time there. I guess that's as much to do with uh, QE and currency debasement uh, elsewhere, but uh, it's one to keep an eye on anyway. It's, it's, mm. it's probably good news for a lot of the uh, UK dividend income seekers – because so many of the FTSE 100 uh, dividends are actually in in US currency.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not, the, the currency situation isn't that bad at the moment, as you say, because the dollar's very strong. And if sort of dollars are declared in dividends but paid in pounds, and that's pretty good. So there are a few stocks in the FTSE that do that. I think I'll be right in saying Shell is absolutely one of them. Yeah,
0: Shell, BP. Yep. Uh, I was going to say uh, Anglo American, then, but that's uh, that's a moot point at the moment, anyway. <laughs> but most most of the large resource companies, uh, oil and gas stocks, certainly do as well. On the subject of oil and gas as well, it's also a week in which uh, the final sanctions, or not the final sanctions, but the next to final sanctions being poured on Iran as well. Mm. So it sees them coming into the, uh, the global oil markets with a, near-term target of 500,000 barrels a day.
1: Yeah, more I think than they than they have been so I think it's like an increase in production that Yes, it's an increase yeah. from
0: where they, where they were and I think there's a long-term goal to push production up to 4 million barrels a, a day but given that the infrastructure has been degraded so much over the last 10 years, it, m- it may take some time on that.
1: Yeah, I think historically though they're about the 7th largest oil producer or something so if they're not that now, they probably do have a goal to at least sort of re- you know, regain that sort of that level of output.
0: Well, it, well, exactly as well. It's an interesting, uh, it, strangely enough, it opens up some um, opportunities for uh, companies within the oil services sector as well because, as I mentioned, the the infrastructure there has been so degraded over the 10-year period that there's uh, real opportunities there. If we move on to uh, the next section within our news coverage, it's actually a piece that I've written there looking at uh, some... Contrasting Q4 updates from BG Group and uh, Royal Dutch Shell. Uh, Bradley, we've got a, a vote about a week from now, haven't we?
1: Yeah, we do. Um, we've got obviously the, the, as you say, the shareholder vote, which will um, either give the green light or the red light to this deal. It seems like, from what our personal finance team has written, that um, I think more people are in favour of it than not now so it seems that yeah they've really been the... they've been
0: speaking to a number of the institutional uh...
1: yeah a lot of the fund managers so i think um the the barriers in the way to the deal are probably not so strong now if if they were there anyway so yeah it's quite an interesting piece it's worth reading and i won't go into it too much because um the team might talk about it tomorrow on their podcast
0: well yeah um suffice to say i've come to the conclusion at the end that uh Shell are probably going to get the better end of the deal on this one as well, given uh, that uh, BG's uh, latest Q4 production figures were wholly positive as well. This is for many years, BG could do absolutely no wrong yeah. uh, from the execution uh, point of view. But then, uh, from about 2012 or slightly before that, actually, uh, they had a number of uh, technical setbacks and uh, political setbacks that would be on their control leading to a declaration of force measure on their assets in Egypt. But since then, they've sort of uh, managed to uh, get their act together, and it looks like their big uh, LNG project in Queensland is ramping up sufficiently well. Yeah. And they've also got some good news from uh, the Santos Basin in Brazil too. So uh, the the whole idea behind uh, what we thought, the whole idea rationale behind the, uh, the deal was uh, Shell's desire to... Uh, become more of an LNG play um, aside yeah, from it
1: seems like quite a shrewd move now given um, I know all your prices were falling at the time of the deal anyway but not to the levels they've reached now so I guess that, that diversification is quite sensible on Shell's
0: behalf yeah, it, it's, it's a long term it's a long term ejector as well because they're seeing more and more power is being uh, generated through uh, natural gas so anyway we'll see what happens uh, uh, next week there was a new spotlight that was written by our old friend Alex Newman this week and you, you've had a, have a look at this haven't you Bradley it looks a uh, looking at who might be the best plays going through the remainder of this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, Liberum basically held an event which um, Alex went to, and um, they were focusing on sort of smaller mid-cap opportunities um, in the market and looking at how actually they could be quite a good play um, at this point in the cycle, in spite of people thinking they're normally a bit more risky than um, sort of larger blue-chip stocks. And they, they actually cite some of our buy tips which is handy um, volution and safe store were both mentioned by liberum and um, alex has obviously mentioned that in the article as well so we've uh, got something in common in terms of our view there with liberum i mean obviously small caps you know they haven't survived the sell-off in uk equities at all by any means but um, i think that the gist of alex's piece is basically that there are quite a well a, there are more companies to choose from they're not as well researched but also the valuations aren't perhaps so steep as some of the larger companies as well so you know that they're basically in a better position to grow and some of the valuations are quite attractive
0: yeah i think i think uh, any of these advice the sort of advice that i am not taken in context with this week's events as well yeah it's worth uh, noting that absolutely
1: but i think um yeah the the sort of the i suppose the growth opportunities of smaller companies there's also the potential benefit that if they're smaller they're perhaps just focused domestically or in fewer markets so they're not sort of um subject to the ravages of you know Um, situations in other economies or currency that sort of thing so I think that can be a bit of a benefit as
0: well. Well that'll be interesting and as I say in the context of this week's events which takes us on to our uh, main feature for this week which has been uh, put together by James Norrington and Emma Powell looking at uh, how to identify uh, possible short positions and how technically to go about it so James we're looking at sort of uh, shorting signals here and also uh, the tactics behind it what were you trying to get out of the feature? Quite innocently, uh, actually, Mark. Um, I was uh, I was looking at presciently, surely.
2: Presciently, yes. In, in <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've sort of. Uh, although we've all, um, you know, we've been thinking that that uh, the FTSE Hundred has, has been looking overvalued for some time. Um, we've all been aware of uh, of what's been going on with the chill winds coming from the east uh, from China for a while. I think it's taken us all aback. The, the the strength of the sell-off at the start of this week so when this this feature was, uh, was was written it was actually we were looking at more of a for long-term buy and hold investors how using the short interest that funds have towards certain stocks can be perhaps used um as an indicator as another part of um of, of the narrative around around stocks when you're when you're looking to to buy or sell shares
0: okay and, and so this, this is this is something that this type of strategy will be open to retail investors as well it's or, or is it is it principally for for people that are are comfortable with highly technical uh, trading strategies?
2: Well, I think Emma has gone into this in more depth um, with her part of the feature where she's she's looked at uh, at various ways that investors uh, can take a a short position themselves. Emma will talk more about this herself. But actually, I suppose in the events of this week... We'd probably i think the the best thing for a lot of uh, for most buy and hold investors to do is if they have no immediate liquidity mm. needs um, is is to stay invested and and to ride out and to rely on a, a broad asset allocation to make sure that you know that the overall portfolio isn't um, harm by too much peak to trough drawdown.
0: Yeah, um, well, again, I say this, this is for people that don't have any mm. uh, need to sort of liquidate any of their holdings quickly for any particular
2: reason. Then there's an opportunity to, to hedge positions. Um, uh, if you're a sophisticated investor, um, there are methods to do that, which which uh, Emma's gone into. From my side of of the feature, I was uh, we've been looking at um, at really uh, how short interest? Just to explain, it is um, it's it's the the percentage of shares that um, of uh, asset managers have um, a, a sell position of um, as a percentage of of the shares outstanding. In, okay. Um, okay, and and that it can be an indicator, an aggregate of the sentiment towards a company in the marketplace. So really, what the feature is about is is looking at um, at how this this level of sentiment in the market um, can help provide more colour um, around the decision to buy sell or hold
0: okay then well um, emma moving on to you you've looked at the uh, mechanics uh, behind the short selling as well Where, where did you go to first on this
3: a good starting point like james kind of mentioned is that it is for I think generally these strategies are for the more sophisticated investors but something the starting point in in the feature from my side was very much you know we wouldn't recommend for um, private investors you know naked short selling or anything like that the best way principally is through derivatives um, so that could be contracts for difference or covered covered warrants, options. Those are the kind of instruments um, that you would use principally to hedge. Okay. Um, yeah, to, to to hedge and to try and obviously benefit from maybe market volatility, that kind of thing.
0: Well, we're likely to see uh, an increase in that over the next uh, few weeks and months, I would have thought.
2: I think we're we're looking at um our. our- uh as you know, monetary policy some discipline is uh, is going to come back into that yeah um i think you know things won't be driven by um momentum uh, of 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 constant easy money um being pumped into into uh securities markets so it's uh, it it's you know investors are, are probably you know we're going to see more of a need to, to take a view on 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 sort of hedging positions. Uh, if you look at say the ETF markets now as well, I was just um, at a Smart Beta conference this morning, um, and uh, people were, were and, and there, there are a lot more of the the, the long short strategies coming out now. I think that that, that hedging that to get returns uh you know i think we're, we're we're going to be in uncharted territory for a while where we're going to be seeing uh it's still going to be difficult to get a good return on your money from cash savings um or from bonds um and i think equities um are you know the the volatility is is um is, is going to be greater over the next year or so um and uh, so for good risk adjusted terms and perhaps more innovative
0: strategies um uh, we will be to the fore. Okay. Well, listen. It's a, it's a great piece. I I, I, I take it, Amy. You c- you can go along to the providers of uh, CFDs yeah. and, all that, yeah. and 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 they you can always find yeah. tutorials through these.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think you know you know the big providers. Um, we
0: can't mention them here. It's, no, of uh, course
3: not. I wasn't going to do that. Um, but actually, on James's point of um, using more innovative hedging strategies, that's actually uh, just to mention. You know, when you're using some of these derivatives like contracts for difference. You know, short selling as a as a hedging strategy. You know, you can mirror, say, you're long in a stock. Obviously, you can then go short in it. So, yeah. you know, you bet on the the, the market um, downside, which means, you know, it is that is that real hedging that you you have, where obviously, you know, if the market and goes, if your market goes well, then obviously you've benefited as share prices have increases. But you do have that. The kind of safety net as well if you use a
0: mm-hmm.
3: an instrument like a cfd
0: okay well that's that seems to be the core of it really uh as part of a hedging or a defensive uh strategy as well. one
2: final point on hedging mark is um is it's also important to look at the beta of your overall beta of your portfolio i.e um you know it's sensitive relative to its its benchmark yeah um, because you know you will need, if you were to hedge through futures contracts, and the amount that you were to to buy um, short short futures contracts, you were to buy, and um, would need to 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 have a relative um, good rate, the correct ratio to your portfolio to give you the best hedging possible.
0: Oh uh, well, words of, words of wisdom. Thanks very much, James. Thank you, Emma. Uh, the sector focus this week uh, has been uh, put together by uh, Harriet Russell, and of course, th- this time of the year that we've got a a virtual avalanche of trading statements from high street real retailers so harriet's been uh, taking a look at uh, what trends have developed and uh, i guess it's uh, more of the same isn't it harriet
4: yeah it is i mean there there was a sort of hook for this piece was was really a set of figures from the british retail consortium and what those really illustrated was that There were far fewer shoppers out and about on the high street. The numbers were down on November and down year on year, so it's just a constant fall. However, retail sales in general are up, so where are people choosing to spend their money? The short answer is online. That's not a new phenomenon, but it's ever more destructive
0: and you make the point as well it's it's uh, many of us actually choose to shop online now and I, I know i do personally but that's uh, through uh, for convenience i guess say on my part but there's also a price element to this now
4: yeah absolutely i think there's uh, there's a big problem i think for retailers which some of them have failed to notice which is they think it's makes more sense to offer the bigger discounts online particularly around times like Black Friday and then the promotions in store aren't quite as good their rationale behind that is that if we've got people in the store they're likely to spend more because they'll see more items they'll be more tempted it's browsing etc of course what they don't realize is that customers sort of exiting from a recession are much more savvy than that and They shop online first. They do all their research and they click and collect it. That's that's growing ever more popular.
0: And and of course, it's the a lot of the traditional retailers now have a a sort of I think the 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 term that you use is fighting a a battle on two fronts Mm. there. Because they're having to actually build up um, their online presence, but uh, maintain the, their place in the high street as well.
4: Yeah, absolutely. It's For the clothing retailers in particular, that's a huge problem because their business has been hugely disrupted by the likes of ASOS and Boohoo and other online fast fashion retailers. And obviously, I'm not saying that ASOS and Boohoo don't have overheads. They obviously have to maintain a huge distribution network that deals with massive volumes. But to compete, someone like Next, for instance, or even Ted Baker and Supergroup, French Connection, they're all having to fight on two fronts because they've got an existing store estate that has its own sort of property liability attached. And then they're having to set up these distribution networks, some of them from scratch. Next did relatively well off that because they had existing Next Directory, which insulated them for a number of years against those rising costs. But, you know, other groups have had to really pour a huge amount of money into expanding their online distribution just to keep up.
0: Yeah, I guess uh, Next uh, provide a prime example, really, because they were, they were standalone in the market for a decade, a decade mm-hmm. and a half, really, and yet they've had to evolve their business now.
4: Yeah, absolutely. For a long time, Next was very often compared to Debenhams and Debenhams had to as I say set up this distribution network really from scratch whereas Next had their existing directory business to really help them sort of get their feet off the ground and, and able to compete for a while but uh, yeah the trading statement from Next at the beginning of the year was was not good frankly. Um, the shares have derated quite substantially since the end of last year. Uh, they have a good track record it depends how much sort of weight you want to put in past performance being an indicator of future performance but um, they have a good they have a good track record in terms of shareholder returns, things like that. So it'll I suspect it will still be a popular stock going forward as, as long as they can turn trading around quarter to quarter.
0: Well, as you say, it's been a, a mixed bag across uh, across the retail spectrum uh, so far this year, but I guess uh, we'll have to wait until April time once we've got all the financials through to just see what the impact has been because obviously there's the, the popularity of uh, online shopping also feeds through into the gross margin as well.
4: It definitely does. I think th- there are going to be some significant events this year such as the introduction of the new living wage. That's going to push up costs again for a number of retailers, maybe not this year it's being introduced this year but you know a lot of them do already pay their staff quite generously so they'll have they'll be able to absorb the cost initially but going forward yeah those margins are going to come under pressure because the costs are going to rise now it'll be up to those retailers to decide how they offset that some companies like Weatherspoons, which is obviously a, a pub company has taken margin hits for years because they don't want to destroy their value offering to customers they want to keep prices where they are. Next has already hinted that it, it may well have to increase prices not dramatically at first but it says it is prepared to do that
0: Okay, well listen, it's it's a great piece and uh, there'll be a companion piece no doubt in, in about uh, three months time once we get all those figures through anyway but uh, that, that's it for this week there's, uh, there's a host of other good reading in the magazine as well A, a Contrarian's Conundrum and the four best investment trusts and four shares uh, that nearly have it all but uh, until next week I'm Mark Robinson, goodbye